Ladies and gents, welcome back to Black and Blurred. This is a special introduction because I just wanted to prep you for part two of fatherhood where we left off. Things were getting really juicy with the war on drugs and how it was an intentional uh, degrading of the family and a lot of minority communities. So we hope that you guys enjoy this episode. Stay tuned for our live episode coming up really soon. Plan is to do it this Thursday. Be on the lookout for our advertisement with that. And you can find us on YouTube in order to uh, watch that episode and interact with us. I hope you enjoy this. And he said, the Nixon campaign in 1968 and the Nixon White House after that had two enemies, the anti-war left and black people. You understand? Wow. We knew we couldn't make it illegal to be either against the war on blacks, but by getting the public to associate the hippies with marijuana and blacks with heroin, and then criminalizing both heavily, we could disrupt those communities. We could arrest their leaders, raid their homes, break up their meetings, and vilify them night after night on the evening news. Did is, we know we were lying about the drugs? Of course we did. Is there any politician alive now who kind of like joined in to this philosophy of being hard on crime for this kind of like specific demographic of people? Hard on mm. crime? Yeah. Politician, mm-hmm. um, what's the New York dude? Who the stop and frisk dude? Oh, Giuliani. Giuliani. No, 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 no. Not Giuliani. Uh, like now. after De Blasio, you talking about? No, no. He, no, ran, he was DeBlasio. running for president and dropped out. Oh man, what is his name? Money bags. He just has money. Nobody knows. Bloomberg. Yes. Oh, Bloomberg. Yeah. Bloomberg. Yeah. Bloomberg. Nobody knows how he has money. That's not even who I had in mind. Oh, who'd you have in mind? I was thinking specifically. This is this is jumping up a bit. Okay. Into the nineties. Where there was a crime bill. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, <laughs> I, and it's the same philosophy. Yeah. It was the same mentality. A lot of the outcries you hear about men being locked up and there are people who are trying to do uh, was it prison reform for men who are locked up for things like weed mm-hmm. for long periods of time. Um, there are politicians who used to gloat about being able to do that. One yeah. of them is the current president. Mm-hmm. He's a current president. I mean, he like celebrates the fact that he put that that that's his baby. Yeah. That's his baby. But sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I mean that's you know, doesn't need no explanation. It's blatant. Right. Um and so uh, another thing they did like so they had to um number one, basically what that means is they were sprinkling crack all over the hood. Mm. <laughs> that's what they were doing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um and prosecuting people. Even if they knew they were lying about the drugs, they said they were putting people in jail. And now back to my story, I think, Joey, you missed the stories of the communities that were thriving in Tulsa, Oklahoma and Lane, Arkansas. Yeah. The, the thing that they have to tear down is the work ethic. Mm. The, the mm. work ethic of the men in those communities was unmatched. Um, they were able to withstand destroying the community and then yeah. move to another one and grow it. Grow it. To where it was thriving, thriving without any help. Flourishing, yeah. Well, yeah. Financially, um, spiritually, they had yeah. churches. Everything. That is also a thing. That's a staple. It still is today, but just aesthetically. Yeah. But faith in God is a staple of minority cultures in this country. Yeah. And it has to be destroyed in order to destroy the community. But go ahead. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so the main thing they had to tear down was that work ethic. And that's what the Medicare did. Mm. That's what the Medicaid did. Give them some money. They said, hey, we'll, we'll yeah. give you some money. 
and uh, specifically with the housing or low income housing, they said, hey, uh, we'll give you low income housing, but you only can make this much. Mm-hmm. And who ends up yeah. qualifying for the houses when you can only make a certain amount? Yeah. Not, not married couples. No. Yeah, right. It's single. It's single. Right. It's, it's either a mother or a father. Right. And most likely it's, it's a the mother. mother because the father's in jail because he sprinkled some crack on him. Yeah, right. So you were saying they have to make the household has to have this. The much. household has to have. And yeah. we, we see that today. With, Definitely. When you qualify for any loan yeah. you can't, or any kind of grant from the government, you yeah. can't make over a certain amount. Well, going back to your public school thing, we weren't allowed to have lunch tickets. Right. Because we had two parents. Right. And our mother ran daycare out of our house and it was a business. And my father also worked. But, yeah, we weren't allowed to have lunch tickets because yeah. we didn't qualify. You had too much money. Yeah, yeah. but and by meanwhile, too much money is really not. Yeah, right, right. It too too much money was subjective. It just yeah, right, right. You know, but yeah, um, yeah. And so, I mean, there's there's so many different angles. I mean, I listed. I just listed some of the things that were done to tear down, um, the communities, those urban communities, and at best, in their in their perspective, at best, every community. Yeah. With these ideolo- ideological nuggets. Yeah. Um, Sorry. Another thing, because you just said it. You just the, the, so he's saying sprinkle a little crack. That that's a line <laughs> that's from a Dave, Dave Chappelle, Chappelle skit. Dave Chappelle would use that, but that's not what I want to highlight. What he's highlighting is a government-funded initiative mm-hmm. to flood drugs into inner cities mm-hmm. in order to fund an illegal war. Right. This is not. This is documented stuff. Yeah. As a matter of fact. You have you're entertained by it now. There are TV shows and movies centered around that narrative, just from different angles. Blow, uh, Narcos, uh, wow. Snowfall, um, American Made with Tom Cruise. Uh, anything regarding Pablo Escobar. Anything regarding Medellin cartel, Cali cartel, Mexican cartel. If all the way from there to hip hop artists like Freeway or what's his name, Rick Ross. All of these names involve that narrative the drug runners that were built from it and then also the cia and their initiative to fund funnel drugs into the inner city in order to fund a illegal war of the contras in nicaragua sorry were you about to get there <laughs> you was about to get there <laughs> i'm sorry dog. i'm just itching man i'm let sorry us, i'm gonna shut up darren's us, running this let us pray darren's running this. <laughs> that's it it's a wrap so yeah my next question um you guys notice any early indoctrination? <laughs> <laughs> early indoctrination. I mean, even for us, because this is like the 1960s, 1970s, they've already done it. It's done. Yeah. It's done. Our, our, you know, our friends' fathers and their grandfathers are in prison. It's done. Yeah. Um, but have you noticed any early indoctrination of glorifying single couples mm-hmm. and or drugs or uh I don't know. Any, what do you mean by single couple? Sing, not single. That makes no sense. Oh, okay. Single family. <laughs> I thought you was being deep real quick. I'm like, man, single, single couple. Single family household. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, for our generation. Single parent, my fault. Single, That's what you're saying? Single parent. Single parent, single parent households. Yeah. Or single parent families in our generation. Yeah. Well, Disney. Yeah, that's the first thing <laughs> yeah, that came that's, from, yeah. that's literally what I wrote. Yeah, Disney. yeah. Wow. Disney is always one parent. And if there's two parents, somebody got to die. Yeah. Yeah, or be like an uh, either an extreme buffoon or the the um, the the archetype for what responsible in the home should look like, and mm-hmm. then it's rebellion that's actually glorified in those, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. Like rebe- um, rebe- rebellion against the order. 
the drug thing i mean that's our upbringing that's hip-hop like that's yep every every aspect of inner arts and entertainment that is presented to black people even still today mm-hmm. um and uh and we're coons for talking about it that's how that's how deep the indoctrination and the brainwashing is black people will slander us for saying hey there are people who are poisoning you so that you can continue to poison others yeah. and yourselves um and they hate they hate the fact that we talk about it yeah i mean all of those things i i, I even wrote down um the glorification of murder the glorification mm-hmm. of abortion yeah uh, the glorification of abandonment the glorification yeah. of premarital sex mm. all of those things contribute to fatherlessness contribute man. to abandoned yeah. children yeah um yeah. All of those things are glorified in our culture today, um, and it, it, I also want to. I have. I, mean, I just want to read some quick stats um, about how our culture contributes to the culture in uh, killing each other, killing mm-hmm. potential fathers yeah. in the womb, and uh, each other, brother yeah, to right. brother. That's right. Yeah. Um, there's no way we could form a community and build businesses together because we're, we're fighting each we're other, killing each other. Yeah. Um, yeah. So here we go. We have, oh, I have another stat too. Golly, Barack Obama was tripping. Mm. Um, <laughs> the murder rate. So I'll leave that one alone because that gets messy because it's hard to do the whole country. Mm-hmm. Let's just talk about Chicago um, and Baltimore. In Baltimore, three months in 2017, there were 474 murders in the, in the city. In Chicago, there were 730 in three months. Three months. That's a genocide. Now, we would probably need some more Democrat policies in those cities, right? Yeah. What's the most prevalent Democrat policy in those cities? Gun laws. Gun laws. Gun laws, yeah. Mm -hmm. Gun laws. So that means the citizens have to risk being felons in order to protect their households and their families. Mm -hmm. Um, And I want to read, this is one of two quotes I'll read. As we get to the end here, um, this is a, this is an a, a article written by the Center for Urban Renewal and Education. It says politicians argue for abortion largely because they do not want to spend the necessary money to feed, clothe, and educate more people. Mm-hmm. Here, arguments for education, arguments for education. Uh, I'm sorry. Here, arguments for inconvenience and economic savings take precedence over arguments for human value and human life. Psychiatrists, social workers, and doctors often argue for abortion on the basis that the child will grow up mentally and emotionally scarred. <laughs> but who of us is, is complete? If completeness were the criteria for taking life, we would all be dead. <laughs> if you can justify abortion on the basis of emotional incompleteness, then your logic could also lead you to killing for other forms of incompleteness, mm, blindness, right. crippleness, and old age. Jesse Jackson. Wow. Wow. That was uh, 1977. Yeah, wow. Jesse, you got some splaining to do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Everything he said is 100% correct. Man, uh, not only is it correct, it is that's a biblical ethic for the image of God. Absolutely. You cannot declare the Imago Day as something that is uh aesthetic or um is uh what's the word I'm looking for? mechanical where it's like hey we we have intellect and we have emotions and things like that and uh we are relational or you know whatever we have eyes you can't that's not it because then the moment any of that is not the case then you can 
declare someone not the image of God and be justified mm-hmm. in taking their life. And that's what people mm-hmm. have done with abortion. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, there's no reason Christians, in the beginning, I think that conversation is, is all over the place now, but in the beginning, people would say, well, no, it's not a, it's not a human yet, mm-hmm. or it hasn't been fully formed yet. And the image of God is a declaration. Right. It's not something you grow into. It's a declaration that human life has my signature and my mark on it right. that says that Yahweh is here. And it's valuable because I've declared it valuable. It doesn't grow into value. Right. Um, well said. They put a stat in here. Joel, you have any thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, I did. Jesse it was, Jackson um, line. Yeah, first of all, that was like the biggest, like, right? Fleckus talks, right? I'm going I'm to give you your own politicians. Uh, right? I think that's kind of ridiculous. There was something that you said within that, but um, it slipped my mind at the moment. So I'm, I'm going to defer. Okay. Trust okay. me. It, it'll come back. So here's just a stat here. It says disproportionately, the leading consumer of the abortionist services is the African-American female. According to the 2011 abortion surveillance report issued by the Center for D- Disease Control, mm-hmm. black women make up 14% of the childbearing population, which means they actually gave birth, Man. yet obtained 46% of reported abortions. Man. Black women have the highest abortion ratio in the country. With 474 abor- abortions per 1,000 1, live births. Wow. Percentages at these levels illustrate that more than 19 million black babies have been aborted since 1973. And we wow. wonder why there is a fatherlessness issue. Yeah. 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 The, the, the point I thought of a moment ago actually uh, has come back to me, and it's on the grounds that. Uh, so Jason Whitlock had covered this disgusting song that's out. Um, I don't, I don't even want to really get too deep into what the song is right now. It's on that. It's on this topic, and it's really advocating it. Just the the murder of children, and uh, and they they did a video at like an abortion mill, didn't they? Oh my goodness, yes, that's exactly right. And so, what Jason was talking about was just like how the the gateway drug that it was that you know Dre would talk about killing killing another black dude. Right in his music, uh-huh. and how if we if we could glorify that at one point, how was that not a roadmap for this? Correct mm-hmm. to eventually become what was normalized. Correct. But in right. the statements that you were reading, I believe from uh, old, Je- uh, old, Jesse. old old Jesse, old Jesse, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Uncle that, Jesse, uh, that you know the idea that that the quality of life and like they so they so perpetuate the story of of what the quality of life will be like, and if that life happens to make it to to term and become a birthed human mm-hmm. um they they do everything they can to mutilate and mm. and still affect the the logic and the thinking and the growing of that said person yeah. so it's just a it's an incredible um display of manipulating manipulating uh, shame it's like for instance biblical shame um should bring you to godly sorrow and repentance and what they've done is just their shame they, sh- they 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 have found a way to shame us into mm-hmm. uh into thinking that shame is a bad thing yeah mm. and so it's the, the reverse psychology is masterful um and something that is not worth blinking an eye as if it, it doesn't have like extended um reach so to, to say again to the point of how how big of a population is being destroyed right now yeah uh, it's it's in, incredible how we can hyper focus on minority and 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 murder a majority 
of a minority yeah. without without being able to really identify the root of this cause. You right, know? Right, so, right, 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 right. Um, yeah, that's absolutely, yeah, right. absolutely right. So, I mean, and the reason I, I tie in the government uh, with with all of this is because somewhere along the line, they know the importance of fatherlessness. Mm. Yeah. And either directly or indirectly, they learned it from scripture. Well, I would go even deeper than that to say that Satan knows the importance of father. No, definitely. Of mm-hmm. fathers. Mm-hmm. As we said, government. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Government yeah, is yeah, instituted yeah. by the Lord. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's absolutely right. That's what else. Getting that. Um, the, the, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Satan knows exactly how to destroy um, and how to lure God's people away from him. Mm-hmm. Um, and we see that. Yeah. Um, I do want to, I'll read one more quote and then, and then I'll tie it up with some, some verses and some encouragement. Yeah. Um, it says, of all the rocks on, on which we build our lives, <clears throat> we are reminded today on Father's Day that family is the most important. And that we are called to recognize and honor how critical every father is to that foundation. They are teachers. They are coaches. They are mentors and role models. They are examples of success and the men who constantly push toward success. If we are honest with ourselves, we'll admit that what too many fathers are also missing is missing. We'll admit that what too many fathers are also missing. Missing from too many lives and too many homes. Mm. They have abandoned their responsibilities, acting like boys instead of men. Mm-hmm. And the foundations of our families are weaker because of it. You and I know how true this is in the African-American community. We know that more than half of all black children live in single parent households. A number that has doubled since we were children. We know that statistics that children who grow up without a father are five times more likely to live in poverty and commit crime, nine times more likely to drop out of schools, and 20 times more likely to end up in prison. They are more likely to have behavioral problems, to run away from home, become teenage parents themselves. And the foundations of our community are weaker because of it. It's up to us as fathers and parents to instill this ethic of excellence into our children. It's up to us to say to our daughters, don't ever let images on TV tell you what you're worth. Because I expect you to dream without limit and reach for those goals. It's up to us to tell our sons those songs on the radio may glorify violence, but you should only glorify God in heaven. Oh, Mm. self-respect and hard work. It's up to us to set these high expectations. And that means meeting those expectations ourselves. That means setting examples of excellence in our own lives. The second thing we need to do as fathers is passing along the value of empathy to our children. Not sympathy, but empathy. The ability to stand in somebody else's shoes, to look at the world through their eyes. Sometimes it's so easy to get caught up in us that we forget about our obligations to one another. Mm. There's a culture in our society that says remembering these obligations is somehow weak or soft. That we can't show weakness, and so therefore we can't show kindness. But our young boys and girls see that. They see when we're ignoring or mistreating our wives. They see when we are inconsiderate at home. They see when you are distant or when you're thinking of yourself. So it's no surprise when we see that behavior in our schools and on our streets. 
That's why when we pass the values of empathy and kindness to our children by living with them, they show it. We need to show our kids that you're not strong by putting other people down. You're strong by lifting them up. That's our responsibility as fathers. Bishop Barack Hussein Obama. Just kick me out. Just kick me out. Just Bro. kick me out. I mean, I knew who you were quoting. He was, I was saying just that at angering. a church. You it know, was this angering is, this is to early. hear that. This was 2009. He was still trying to get the Christian vote. Because. But it's true. <sighs> yeah. I'm, I'm actually, you know, I don't even have anything to say. <laughs> I don't have anything to say. Because it's, it's angering how gullible people are. Mm-hmm. Um, it's angering. And here's the thing. Not gullible in that people would hear that and believe it. They should. Mm-hmm. Gullible in that when he immediately changed away from that ethic. The moment he started attacking scripture, because it's Barack Obama, I'm not, I'm not going to get away from it, but mm-hmm. it, he immediately started que- telling people to question scripture, yeah. saying, hey, I mean, what ethic should we use, a biblical ethic? I mean, because the Bible, we can't use the Bible. I mean, the Levitical law, should we start in Deuteronomy or, you know, yeah. should we go with the Sermon on the Mount that would render our entire military defense system null and void or whatever he said? To get people, he, 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 he condescended the value of Scripture and people still clung to him by saying, yeah, he's the one. And then after devaluing the value of Scripture, he devalued the value of marriage and people still clung to him. But, you know, I have I have um, a very interesting um, thought behind this about our current president where I have um, I have uh, someone I'm close with that voted for him because of their just orange man badness. Right. Yeah. And it was brought up recently within a group of brothers. And it was incredible to me how their their perspective was was specific to talking about um, a response team. I'm going to just use the word wellness here, a wellness response team that was uh, taken out due to the orange one. And, uh, and, and the way he set it up was very much the way that our lovely brother Darren today was reading, right? Where it's like, you know, we had this, we were set up and we were good to go. We had, you know, it's all good. And then uh, guess who took it away? Right. Yeah. And um <laughs> When that happened, uh, I like I saw it because I have I've had conversations with this individual and I've seen their perspective on this very specific topic rile them up and it was just like it was just like watching the crank go up like I'm I don't know how else to describe it like yeah. somebody winding someone up right and I'm just watching he's getting ready to go and he's just waiting for you know one of the brothers to bite on it and so I just I watched it in real time and what the the point I'm bringing up was as much as you this individual was focused on this topic and how the orange one was responsible for dispersing of this team. And we would have been fine and all these things with all the evidence that has come out at this point yeah. uh, regarding the, the black pill, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, for what that was and all these other organizations like, Hey, we were like really wrong about all of this. Uh, you know, yeah. sorry. Right. <laughs> I don't know if sorry is even the right word right. That, that was used, but, um that and the fact that this individual casted a vote toward the current uh regime mm-hmm. 
there's no uh, to, uh, i'm going I'm, I'm leaning on what you're just talking about brandon about the clinging on to despite all this other evidence that has come out despite the counter i'm not even talking about the vote that was cast for this person it's you're so honed in yeah. on the decision that you've made yeah. Yeah. that you are blind completely to the decision that you have made to counter that yeah. the the wrongness of how that decision doesn't solve anything either the the refusal to um to admit that even if that wellness team was around like it didn't it wouldn't have really changed what you think you were to the magnitude you were but you were so sold on that yeah. that you can't see past it yeah and so um regarding the the president that was being quoted that that was very much the case where people cast a vote and their allegiance was now signed in blood yeah and so hell or high water this is the this is the this is the decision i'm sticking by right hell or high water and it's incredible even with all that's come out since that uh that president's term yeah how uh you know reluctant people to admit yeah like just people people just won't even admit you know won't even admit and um it's a pride thing right it just goes back to pride um Uh, you know well that's because going back i mean this is a manhood series um and darren you highlighted tactics to steal fathers out of homes, steal yep. steal spiritual fathers out of church. Um, men who are leaders of communities have been spiritually, uh, principally, um, and even emotionally castrated. Yeah. Emotionally, they have no backbone. Uh, spiritually, they have no one to whom they submit except for a physical government. Um, they they don't actually have an allegiance to Jesus, right. the Lord, that guides them and convicts them to shepherd His sheep. Um, and so now, people in these pulpits are pointing people to the new temple, and it's in D.C. <laughs> so, yeah, I did want to end this with some encouragement, Joey. I think you had something to read. Yes. All right. Let yes, me let me do much. this first, and then I'll let you uh, I'll let you take it away. Um. Yeah, this is for people who um, maybe are already fathers, but they didn't have fathers, earthly fathers on earth. Mm. Um, you know, if your earthly father is absent, um, God is present. Amen. Um, mm-hmm. Follow him. And it says in Deuteronomy 6, 5 through 9, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign of your hand, and they shall be fauntless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Um, you know, it's convicting to me. Like, how often do you wake up yeah. and love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul and yeah. all your might. Yeah. Um, and that is the beginning of being a good father. Um, a, a, a father. Yeah. It's, none of us are good, but that's the beginning of being a father. Also, um, for people who um, maybe, I don't know, I had another scenario on my head, but it just went away. I was, I was thinking of um, I guess father uh, people who aren't fathers yet, um, who also don't have fathers. Um, God has given 
us earthly fathers as well. People who, you know, in your churches, yeah. um, in your communities, cling to those men, men with wisdom. Right. Um, but Jesus, you know, Jesus is a perfect example um, as a husband to the church. And God also gives us marriage. Look at other married couples. Look at how husbands lead their wives. They are all great examples from God um, on what fatherhood is. Yeah. Well, what would you guys say is the most popular American culture Christian verse? John 3.16. John 3.16. I think that's obvious. The Shema is what you just read in Deuteronomy 6. That was the John 3.16 of Israelite culture. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Meanwhile, we're not supposed to lose that, though. John 3.16 is how you become God's people. Deuteronomy 6 is what you do as God's people. Right. Right. So we we need to stay with that. Yeah. I don't know if uh, you subscribe to this, but the more I say it out loud, I think I I do. Uh, It was pertaining to uh, Meshach, Shadrach, and uh, Abednego Mm -hmm. on, uh, on them being thrown into the fire. And that that were, they weren't thrown into the fire for their faith. They were thrown into the fire for their works. Their faith, uh, their works, was evidence of their faith. Mm-hmm. But it was by it was by speaking up and saying no, yeah. we're not because of this faith yeah. mm-hmm. that they were thrown into the fire. Um, I think that <clears throat> at times we can get caught up in thinking of how much faith we we should and rightfully should have. Um, like the fact is, is that to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, along with nothing else, is impossible. And yet, we that's more reason to not fall into despair that we would put our hope in Christ Jesus alone, Amen. Yeah. Uh, who, the, who the finished work is done in and would be, right? Our, uh, our man, man, our mediator. If that's, if, that's not, if that's not what's happening, man, we're all at a loss. But if it is, and it is, whether you believe it or not, it is what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> that would be the call that we have to be responsible for is to put our faith and trust in him. Yeah. Right. You know? Um, um, so. so before you read this and hopefully this is the abridged version, like the meat, the, whatever the meaty version you gave uh-huh. me. Yeah. Just yeah, get to that. So we don't, um, yeah. lose any yeah, folks. but, it. but the thing we said we were going to address at the end of this episode cues you up perfectly. Um, mm-hmm. we played a clip at the beginning of this episode, TD Jakes. And, um, if you didn't listen to it, just go back to the beginning uh, and listen to it real quick. But what he says at the end, I think the dilemma he highlights is a real dilemma. The man that's always at home can't provide financially. Right. And the man that provides financially can't have time at home. But then at the end, he seems to side with the man who doesn't have time and has to provide because he says that his obligation is to make sure his children have a better life than he did. And I heard none of that in any of the passages that you read. No, not a better life. So um, one thing that I, I left out um, in my definition of a father, and it says to empower, and that can mean leaving a legacy or a trans- transfer of ownership of their kids to their kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and we see that in Abraham. We see that in Moses, but it has nothing to do with finance. No. Mm-hmm. No, well said. everything um, but finance. Yeah, but that can be a byproduct. That <laughs> right. is a branch right. from the tree that you're talking about. Right. But I think T.D. Wow. Jakes and a lot of culture has mistaken financial um, handing down as yeah. the tree. Yeah. And that's the thing that the man is responsible for. Meanwhile, um, I will make a separate clip, but there are a lot of polls that show fatherlessness as something that's evident in church. And a lack of faith and a lack of handing down of faith to children. 
Now, there are a lot of men who probably agree with TD Jakes working hard, and I'm and I'm that's good. But what we highlighted in society about men being at home, the answer to that is not you having a family so that you always work. Mm-hmm. It's you having a family so that they have you, and when they have you, that's only good if you have the Lord to give to them. Right. That's that's the good thing. That's the good thing. So even if it's outside of your control and you're a hard worker, which is good, work honors the Lord, you need to prioritize him, the Lord, in the handing down of him to your children. Right. So that means Amen. resting and taking breaks and what, letting your children see you stop working so that mm-hmm. you can be that uh, father at home mm-hmm. for their benefit. Leading your family. But tell us some more about leading family and, and you can close this, Joey. Wow. If you're not subscribed already, guys, subscribe, support Black and Blurred on Patreon, right? Uh, this, appreciate uh, that. Yeah, very much. I appreciate you guys having a platform like this that we can speak freely and encourage men and families to stay together for the right reasons. Um, that was a very, very good point that you just made. Um, and what I don't think that is, man, that needs to be echoed. Like the the need for, for families to see fathers do that mm. and that the father's main priority would be to when he clocks in is to share the gospel and to share the, the light of the Lord yeah. um, above all else. So God bless you for that. I'm going to read to you guys a little bit today. It's from another book that I highly recommend. It's called Point Man. Point Man. The subtitle is How a Man Can Lead His Family. The author is Steve Farrar. Uh, Farrar spelled F as in Frank A-R-R-A-R. Farrar, right? Yeah. Um, the excerpt I'm going to read here is from the beginning. Um it's going to end off with a couple statistics, which uh, Darren was really good at pointing out today. So it'll help kind of end cap that. And I'm going to leave it with a question um, <clears throat> at the end of this. So uh, in this excerpt, he begins uh, in this portion by saying, in 1980, Dr. James Dobson put it in this way, the Western world stands at a great crossroads in its history. It's in my opinion that our very survival as a people will depend on the presence or absence of masculine leadership in millions of homes. I believe with everything within me the hu- that husbands hold the keys to the preservation of the family. Things have not gotten any better in the years since Dobson's made this statement. If anything, the, the uh, crisis has grown even more acute. I now have something to say, three things to be specific, and I want to say them to men, men who love their families, men who care for their families, and men who would die for their families. Please tune into this. Mm-hmm. War has been declared on the biblical family. In 1966, or it is 1966, you're only 18. You are in the absolute prime of your youth. You've got a driver's license, a girlfriend, and plenty of dreams. Your entire life is ahead of you. But through a strange series of circumstances you don't fully understand, suddenly your driver's license is useless, your girlfriend's picture is in your wallet, your dreams are on hold, and you're in a country thousands of miles away from home. Welcome to Vietnam. On this particular day, you would give anything not to be here for... You are going out on patrol. You've been on patrol before, but today is different. And that's why there's a knot in your gut and an icy fear in your heart. Today is different because the patrol leader has appointed you to be the point man. In essence, you're the leader. Everyone else will fall in behind you. And as you move out to encounter the enemy, you realize that the survival of those seven men stepping cautiously behind you will depend upon just one thing, your ability to lead. Your judgment may determine whether they live or die. The responsibility hangs over your head like the suffocating humidity that hangs heavy in the air. 
Your senses have never been so alive. Your adrenaline so surging. You can almost hear it rushing through your veins. You know the enemy is near, maybe just hundreds of yards away. Intelligence reported heavy enemy activity in this area late last night. And your job is to confirm or deny that activity. For all you know, they're watching you right now. Perhaps they can see you, but you don't have a clue where they are. As you gingerly make your way through the rainforest, you've got one eye out for concealed wires in your path and another scanning the trees for snipers. Entire patrols have been lost because the point man failed to anticipate an ambush. Men have been killed or horribly maimed, all because a point lacked skill and wisdom. You never saw it coming. The violent shock and utter surprise of gunfire momentarily paralyzes you. Despite your instant reaction training, before you can respond, a bullet tears through your flesh and explodes the bone in your leg. A thousand thoughts instantly flood your mind. Am I going to die? Where are those shots coming from? Is there more than one? Will I lose my leg? Where's the patrol leader? One glance to your left tells you that the family of the patrol leader is now fatherless. In the chaos of the attack and in spite of your wounds, the radio man makes his way to you. He knows, and you know, that you are the most experienced man. In panic situations like this, the book goes out the window. Like it or not, you're the leader. As a medic evaluates your wound, you're trying to determine what to do next. Just what is the situation? What are we up against? Where are they? Some good news in the midst of confusion brings a ray of hope. The bullet went through cleanly, and the bleeding has stopped. You're luckier than most guys on point. Usually, they're dead before they hit the ground. You're still alive and in control of your thinking. Two other men beside the patrol leader were hit. One is dead, the other bleeding profusely. You get on the radio and report your situation and position. You request a chopper for the hemorrhaging private. But before you can finish your request, the hidden enemy unleashes all his firepower on your position. You're surrounded. In your gut, you know the odds are against you. You're outnumbered, outgunned, and not in the greatest position to wage a counterattack. You've got two men dead, one dying, and four wondering if they'll make it to lunch. The worst case scenario has happened, and it's worse than you ever imagined. Now is the time your leadership will make the difference. What you say and do will determine whether your men live or die. As automatic weapons blaze around you, you must accurately assess the situation, determine the critical next steps, and formulate a flawless plan. It's leadership, pure and simple. If your plan works, you may get out alive with half of your men. If it doesn't, they'll be lucky to find your dog tags. Some of you reading this didn't have to use your imaginations. You might have actually been there. You know what it is to see your buddy disappear forever into the zippered confines of a body bag. You know firsthand the white hot heat of phosphorus grenades and the adrenaline rush of a firefight. You know what it's like to be disoriented by the concussion of artillery shells crashing in around you. You don't have to imagine patrolling Vietnam. It's all you can do to get a night's sleep without reliving it again and again. Let's make a critical change in the scenario, though. You're still in Vietnam on patrol in the same steamy rainforest, but something about this patrol is different. You're still the point man, but this time you're not leading a group of men. You're leading your family. You look over your shoulder to see your wife and your children holding behind, following behind. Your little girl is trying to choke back the tears, and your little boy is trying to act brave. Your wife is holding the baby and trying to keep him quiet. On this patrol, you don't want to engage the enemy. You want to avoid him. What would you be feeling under such conditions? The survival of each member of your family and its survival as a whole would completely depend on your ability to lead through the maze of possible ambushes, unseen booby traps, invisible snipers, and all the extraordinary hazards of combat.
Would you be motivated? Would your senses and adrenaline be working overtime? Of course they would. You would know in your gut that the survival of your family was up to you. It's all on your shoulders because you're the leader. Gentlemen, this is no imaginary situation. It's a reality. If you're a husband or a father, then you are in a war. War has been declared upon the family, on your family and on mine. Leading a family through the chaos of American culture is like leading a small patrol through enemy-occupied territory. And the casualties in this war are as real as the names etched on the Vietnam Memorial. If you doubt such a war now rages in our country, take another look at this casualty list. One out of two marriages end in divorce. The median age for divorce is 34 for men and 30 for women. In 1960, one out of every 10,000 was households. One in every, excuse me. In 1960, one in every 10 households was maintained by a woman with no husband present. In 1996, two out of every five household was maintained by a woman with no husband present. Tonight, enough teenagers to fill the Rose Bowl, the Cotton Bowl, the Sugar Bowl, the Orange Bowl, the Fiesta Bowl, and the average Super Bowl will practice prostitution to support drug addictions. One million teenage girls will get pregnant out of wedlock this year. 500,000 of those girls will abort those babies. Of all the 14-year-old girls alive today, 40% will become pregnant by their 19th birthday. 60% of all church-involved teenagers are sexually active. 66% of American high school seniors have used illegal drugs. And every 78 seconds, a teenager in America attempts suicide. So here's where I'll end for this part of the reading, guys. Let me ask you something. What are you doing to keep your marriage off of this casualty list? You've seen divorce hit your friends and maybe even your extended family. So why won't it happen to you? Man. Oh, your camera died? Yeah. There's never um, been a time like the present for, for men to be very clear about the kind of war that we're in. And whether you've been trained in your eyes or not, you're responsible. Yeah. Um, whether your father was there in your life or you have men in your life to be examples, you are still the one responsible. Um, and it, it's now more than ever where you have access to other examples that are online if you didn't have one locally. But maybe that's because you're supposed to be the local one. Mm. That's well said, man. Um, hold on, let me fix this. Yeah, Some more editing for me to do. Whoopee. Well, with that, I think we can close. Um, like Joey just said, um, I'll, I'll just say this: uh, this series that we've done is highlighting a great need in our society. And it traces back to the one place and the one person that we represent on this podcast. Um, we need health in our society. Um, if you didn't have a father, um, then you can be one as a man. Uh, you can seek out a healthy one, like Darren said. Um, you can seek one out as a man. Or you can seek one out as a woman looking for a mate who can be a biblical father, a biblical husband. Um if you don't know how to do those things, how to seek, what to look for, how to be that, look to Jesus. He's the model. He's the prototype. And he is also the power source through which we become these things. So we appreciate you guys. 
um, rocking with us in this series. Leave us your thoughts and your comments um, on the YouTube channel. Uh, please subscribe to us on YouTube. If you want to support this podcast, please um, support us on Patreon. Uh, you'll find it in YouTube. You find it on social media, www.patreon.com backslash black and blurred. Um, support us on Patreon. We greatly appreciate it. Joe, uh, we love you, bro. Thank you for joining us in this series. Um, and we hope you guys enjoyed this episode of Black and Blurred, where you're guaranteed to hear one of two things, our humble opinion or the facts. Holler at us. <laughs>